for instance, Arc'teryx, which everybody, you know, for the most part is familiar with Arc'teryx now. Yeah. Nobody had any idea in 1999 when I first started working with Arc'teryx um, what Arc'teryx was. If you said Arc'teryx or they saw the bird logo, um, they would just, you know, what is that? Yeah. And so when I started working with them, they were 30 people. Hey Islanders and welcome to episode 132 of the Commander Voice. Today I speak with the founder of Built Design. Please welcome Carm Pierce. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commando Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Uh, hope your week is going well. Um, we've had a few sunny days around here on Camano, um, and a little bit of rain, but actually it's been holding off, so we're, we're going to keep crossing our fingers on that. Um, we are halfway into March, which is crazy, um, but here we are. So uh, today I get to interview Carm Pierce, who is the founder of Built Design, um, and we get to talk about something that I don't talk about much on the podcast as far as uh, my uh, favorite clothing choices and stuff like that. Um, we get to talk about Arc'teryx, which is a uh, Northwest brand. Uh, they do a lot of mountaineering jackets, coats, um, you know, uh, any sort of like mountaineering gear. Um, but just kind of your, uh, uh, I don't know, they just do a good job with their, their clothing. So I really enjoy their product. Um, and uh, his company happens to work with them on a fairly regular basis. Um, it also has worked with companies such as Adidas, K2, um, on, and many more companies. So his company does a lot of outsourced design stuff. Um, and uh, so we get into all of that, kind of get into how we got started um, with this uh, and how that plays also into his art background, which he's also helping with the, the new uh, Stanwood Camino Arts uh, Foundation. Um, I forget his name, sorry. <laughs> Should have done better reading prior to this. Um, but anyways, that's me. Um, so anyways, we get into all of that and more in this podcast. Um, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Carm Pierce. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice. Today, I'm here with the founder of Built. Welcome to the podcast, Carm Pierce. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate you inviting me. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Carm. Well, I grew up in Snohomish, um, the youngest of seven children and uh we were a uh, blue collar kind of you know working class family uh, by the time i came around some of my older siblings had already moved on to college or were married and and so i was on the tail end of of the family we grew up with kind of a hobby farm uh maybe like a su sustenance farming you know where yeah. we we uh Grew our own vegetables and fruit, and had an orchard and a little vineyard, and cows and pigs and and uh, ducks and chickens and all those kinds of things. Um, and so, you know, that was a kind of a rural uh, experience. And growing up in that situation, my dad was a mechanic and and a machinist, so I had a lot of hands-on experience uh, at a young age with you know that kind of stuff, mechanical stuff. <clears throat> Got my PhD in flashlight holding, you know, early on, <laughs> and uh, and how to properly hold a flashlight. Um, so so yeah, that was my upbringing, and uh, 
currently I live in, in on Camano, north end of Camano, and uh, I've been in the Stanwood Camano area since 1999. Okay. Uh, yeah, I have four children, two two girls and two boys, <clears throat> uh, and my older three are all in college, so that's really affordable. <laughs> uh, Hopefully, business is going yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, um, so three of them are you know partially out out of the the house, and then my youngest is a freshman currently. Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of about me. Very cool. So, uh, so you grew up in the Snohomish area. Were mm-hmm. you guys? Did you guys grow up in the same house then your whole life? Then yeah, um, my my parents moved from Texas. Okay. In, in the late sixties, uh, before I was. Uh, was born, but my older uh, five siblings were born in Texas, and then um, they moved to to Washington, and were originally kind of in the Mill Creek area. Um, but then they've been in the same house in Snohomish uh, since uh, 1968, and okay. um, and so uh, my my dad's passed, but my mom, who just turned 90 yesterday. Uh, is still living in that same house wow. on her own. So that's pretty impressive. That yeah. is. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So then, um, so you grew up kind of, you know, learned to work with your hands and everything. So when you were kind of looking ahead at high, after high school, what were you kind of looking at? Well, in high school, you know, I, or from a very young age, actually, I was always interested in art and I was always drawing. Um, one of my older sisters kind of recognized that early on and got me into art classes um, with an artist in Snohomish named James Davis. Uh, so when I was uh, a young kid, I was taking art classes in the basement of the old Snohomish library with, with James Davis and, and um, doing that kind of stuff. And then my old two older brothers uh, owned a cabinet shop, so you know, I started working there at a young age. And so it was a, kind of a natural thing for me to, to meld my artistic uh, interest and, and creativity with, you know, the mechanical upbringing. And that was also an interest as well. It always seemed to be like they fit well together. So as I, you know, was going through high school, I started looking into um, paths at college and industrial design seemed to just be kind of a natural fit because it was a combination of the creative side and of the mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, <clears throat> So industrial design, I, I, my background is mechanical engineering, uh, which of course I'm not using at all now, but you know, that was my background, um, for industrial design, what's that kind of look like for, um, on your guys then then? Yeah. So we, we actually have mechanical engineers on staff, um, at our, at built, um, and that they're more, they're, they're not that different in reality as far as, you know, what a mechanical engineer would do versus uh, an industrial designer. The industrial designer is just typically more on the front end of the process. So, you know, they're they're, um, coming up with the concepts, uh, the aesthetics, the overall functionality or user interface of, of whatever it is that we're designing. So, you know, they're focused on curves and form factor and color and, you know, marketability and, and those types of things, but they're still doing a lot of the mechanical, uh, design, um, at least in, in concept and how it would work and, and function and how, um, someone might interact with it if it's a user, uh, product uh, versus, you know, mechanical engineer, um, is going to take that pretty picture that the industrial designer creates (laughs) and, you know, gets, approval from the client that, yes, that's what we want to go, go through. And they need to figure out, okay, how are we going to make this? And how are we going to fit all the, you know, circuit boards inside and, and exactly what are the buttons made out of and what are, you know, those types of things, the processes for manufacturing, whether it's, you know, injection molded or, or um, 
metal or whatever the fabrication is. And, and so those, that's kind of the difference. They're just on diff, the different ends of the spectrum of the, the development process. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were going to college then, <clears throat> did you find it that uh, in your classes and stuff, were there a lot of people that were um, more artistic-minded like yourself and then but we're looking for a way to kind of apply it in the real world? Or, or not in the real world, but like in a mechanical sense? Uh, well... So I went to art school. I went to RISD, uh, Rhode Island School of Design. You know, those who are familiar, it's referred to as RISD. Um, and so it was very art-centric. Okay. And, and, uh, and so one of the things with, um, with RISD is they really focus on, like, entrepreneurism and, and, and those types of aspects of being an artist. And so whether you're in the uh, industrial design department or in the illustration department or a painter or um, fashion or furniture design, architecture, all the programs that they have, they kind of um, really focus on, okay, it's great, you can paint, but how are you going to bring that to fruition as a, yeah. career, as a career? And so I think that was really helpful, and I think that the people who – um, were in the industrial design program. They came from all different backgrounds. So some of them came from backgrounds like mine, where they were they had a lot of mechanical experience and they understood, you know, what things were made of and how things were made. And other people, you know, were completely from the artistic side, and then they learned that during the process. And so, um, versus you know, like a, a four year university where you're going to have a big mixture of um, different disciplines. Uh, here, you know, most people came up in a, in an art. Um, background and that was their point of reference and so most of them were thinking the aesthetic side but they learned you know the mechanical and the practical side of of industrial design yeah in the education yeah well and that's that's really interesting because i don't hear of many uh schools of any sort that teach any sort of entrepreneurial side like you're kind of usually left out to dry on that side and so I think one of the things about RISD is um, that I, I uh, benefited from, and I think that they really do well, is um, they have a lot of partnerships. Um, so their their campus actually adjoins Brown University, and okay. so there's cross registration, uh, and you can do dual degree programs there. So if you want to um, get a degree in business from Brown while you get an art degree at RISD, you can do that. Okay. And uh, so I took all my liberal arts outside of art history at Brown. And so that was, you know, you kind of step out of one world, just cross the street, step out of one world and into another. Um, and then they also had, they have lots of, uh, um, collaborations and exchange programs with, uh, a lot of the universities in new England. So I did, um, a semester of business school, uh, at another university, um, under an exchange program and then a lot of travel abroad opportunities. So I think that they do really focus on like how, how can we make an artist the most well-rounded and entrepreneurial person that we can to make them successful. Cause there's a lot of great artists out there that whose work never sees the light of day. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's so great. Cause I think that is a very important piece to it because especially for artists, because, um, as an artist, you're, you're everything. You have to be the producer, the maker, and then like you also have to be able to get out and market and sell. And um, it's not an easy job. You've got, you have to do everything, and it's, a lot of it's hard to out- outsource. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, often with artists, that's um, where they struggle is, you know, on their marketing aspect and, and how to sell and how to, how to be everything in their business. They're a one-person business, and, and art's really just one part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I've got um, uh, a friend who who was teaching a uh, theater class, and when they were going over marketing and sales and um, finances of the theater world, the class was kind of like, oh, like it's marketing, like the evil marketers and like all this stuff. And she's like, and they were like, no, this is very important because if we don't sell tickets and we don't do this job, we don't have a job. Right. <laughs> and yeah. so it was kind of bringing them along like, oh, money is important to some degree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of people would come out of art school specifically and then they realize that and it's a little too late. So... Uh, you know, to kind of round that out and mm-hmm. start to think about those things. So, yeah, so so I think that from an education standpoint, um, that was a really, really uh, a major benefit to me yeah. going through that program. Yeah, and it sounds, you said your brothers had already started a cabinetry business. Um, so y- was your family pretty entrepreneurial? Um, yeah, a lot of my siblings uh, are, and um, so a lot of them were in, you know, things like construction and cabinet shop and furniture and, you know, hands-on type of things. So uh, I do come from a background of um, and family that has kind of an entrepreneurial spirit, and a lot of it is, you know, based on the maker or art artist, um, artistic, uh, endeavors. I have a sister who was a professional musician for years and that type of thing. So I do think that it's, you know, our family kind of has a tendency towards that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So then, um, upon graduating college, then what, what'd you do after that? So, um, so I did, I did a little longer college than most people as far as just undergraduate degree. I, I, my wife, uh, I was married, in college, um, and my wife was going to another school in Rhode Island, and she was a year behind me in education. And, and so, while she was finishing up her degree, I did a second degree at, at RISD, <laughs> a professional degree in industrial design. And so, that uh, during that time, I also um, had started working for a visiting professor named Steve Copeland, who had a small consultancy, and he um, was really focused in like the furniture uh, business, but but not in, you know, like craft furniture. He was designing for companies like Floss, which is an Italian lighting company, and Steelcase, and, um, which does a lot of office uh, furniture, and, uh, and those types of companies that are kind of big um, multinational corporations within the, the furniture industry. And so I had taken a couple courses uh, with him while I was at RISD, and then he asked me to come on and, um, and work Forum. And so we were actually uh, working on some different uh, type of projects. We had a project with Cannondale Bicycle, and we had a project um, with uh, Arnold Palmer Golf that we were working on, some things like that. So I was I was finishing my second degree and had started working um, f- for uh, his small consultancy. And at, w- upon graduation, he had asked me if I wanted to come on full-time with his consultancy. Uh, it was actually in New Jersey, but he was in Providence at the time um, running it from there. And so we went and visited and stuff, but um, but my wife was seven months pregnant when she graduated okay. from college, and so she was like, I think we should go back to Washington and uh, <laughs> be, be around family. And so that's the, the what we decided to do. So I came back here, and actually for about six months, you know, it was a little difficult because all my connections were on the East coast. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, I'd searched for jobs and, and I, um, did, uh, you know, a few random projects and things like that. And I ended up, um, 
going to work for what was then GTE, uh, now Verizon, in their marketing department. And I was doing everything from like yellow page layout ads to, you know, marketing posters and postcards and stuff like that. And I did that for a little while. And then um, I went to work on a contract with Microsoft and their hardware group. And I did uh, user interface design there for a while. Um, but my interest really was kind of in the outdoor action sports, you know, um, backpacks and skis and that kind of stuff. True Northwest. Yeah, because that's what I grew up, you know, <laughs> doing and enjoying. And, and, uh, and so, um, I kept on looking and there was a company in Seattle, a consultancy, um, that I ended up getting, uh, hired on to in 1999, I think. Okay. Um, and, um, and they're no longer ex- they don't exist anymore in, in the form they were there, but some of the people uh, started a new company out of that. The time is called Utility, and uh, I came in as a junior designer and was there for just under five years. And you know, at that point, um, I had learned a lot, and made a lot of connections, and their focus was kind of in the outdoor uh, market, and they did a lot of um, retail design and trade show design within. Um, that niche, and so that's uh, that's kind of what got me into to um, that industry. Okay, uh, and along with you know personal interest and all the things that were happening, yeah, uh, in that industry, and, and so then um, that worked out well, and I worked way, my way up in that company, and you know it became evident I was had was living in Stanwood and commuting to South Lake <laughs> Union every day, and uh, and so you know it became a, a thing where. It was just, it was hard um, yep. just because of the commute and that type of stuff. And, and then I, there was, I saw opportunities that I felt that uh, if I went out on my own, I could service uh, clients better and that kind of thing. So yeah. that's when I made a decision to, to launch Built. Okay, nice. So <clears throat> you'd, you'd had a lot of experience in that industry, but it's always different stepping out on your own and having to do it like, cause you're doing everything at that point. There's no team behind you. It's just you. Yeah. What was that like for you stepping out into that? Well, for sure it was different and harder. Um, in some ways, uh, I was very fortunate in, in getting a good start. So, um, one of the companies that I worked with was, uh, Cascade Designs. Um, and at the time they were going through a merger with, uh, MSR Mountain Safety Research. And those two companies, um, we were doing a lot of work for, and I was working on like water filtration and headlamps and stoves, doing a lot of the, the, the MSR stoves, which is like, um, you know, small camping, uh, fuel. Yeah. Dual, I've got one of those. Yeah. I got one of those. <laughs> I probably designed a part of it at least. Um, and so, uh, one of the, one of the people I was working with, um, named Alan Mazuda, he was my client and I was leaving utility and I, and I him and I went out to lunch in, um, in Seattle and I was informing him that I was, you know, launching, going out on my own. And he was like, well, I'm thinking about doing something different. So, um, so right from the beginning, you know, he came on board and, um, and then we had some clients, um, that I had worked with, uh, W.L. Gore and Associates that makes Gore-Tex and Marmot and, um, and a few others that when I left, you know, they just, basically said we're coming with you um and they and so that was a really good launching pad to kind of have you know another person um and some good contracts right out of the gate um and so that helped us out and it was basically two years of just alan and i you know working 
we'd like have our meetings in the morning. <laughs> we would design in the afternoon. We'd do production at night, you know, oh, and my word. we borrowed a, a shop from my father-in-law in a basement of a, a place he owned and we were making stuff, you know, and doing that. So it was, it was pretty, you know, startup, full startup <laughs> mode. Not a lot of sleep for, you know, about two years. Okay. Yeah. So when you guys were doing, so when you guys did, um, like you did the meetings, design, and when you guys were in production stuff, were you guys building like prototypes of like what you think it would be or what was that? I mean, it's all over the board as a consultancy, you know, you, you're basically whatever the project is that the client brings to you, uh, is what you do. And so sometimes it's, um, you know, doing prototypes of a product. And so we're designing and working out, uh, helping with, you know, getting prepped for manufacturing and all that type of stuff. So <clears throat> you might be doing mock-ups of a, of a product and, and sending that out. Other things are, um, we were student we were doing a lot of the retail design and, and um, store design. And so, you know, for instance, W. Gore Associates had a, a running apparel brand and a biking, Gore Bikewear, mm-hmm. um, biking apparel brand. And they placed an order for like 100, you know, fixtures that go in a store to hang their product on. And so we're building those fixtures, you know, in a basement. Oh, and, my word. Yeah, so it was uh, kind of crazy. Uh, <laughs> amazing that we both still have all our fingers, you know, working on the saws and everything in the middle of the night to <laughs> fulfill that order. So so it was a, a little bit of everything, you know. Um, it's We just uh, were, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just getting it done and, and <laughs> doing what we had to. Yeah. yeah. So that's crazy. So when you guys are uh, as a consultancy, then you, a lot of times people come to you and it's more than that. They they want you to do the full the run and everything. Then yes, uh, it's it's um, everything from you know we have clients we worked uh, like for K two uh, for nine consecutive years. We did all of their snowboard bindings and a lot of their boots and helmets and and ski poles and <clears> their <throat> line of Apache skis and. You know, some of those projects, um, they especially after we worked for them for a long time, um, the value that we brought to them was just like on the very front end for concepts, you know, how a curve meets another line on a helmet or something like that. Yeah. So they would just have us do nothing but ske- hand sketches. Okay. They'd just say, hey, we want 30 hand sketches. And they would give us a, um, a design brief, and the design brief might say, uh, this helmet is going to be, you know, marketed to a demographic of a certain age group, and and we... You know, have some reference inspiration material, and we need it to, you know, obviously pass all the standards for protection, and we want it to have integrated um, sound or, you know, whatever the parameters are. And then they'd say, you know, do us uh, 30 hand sketches, and we would uh, just do that and hand it off back to them, and then they, their team internally, their engineers would take our hand sketches, and they'd start to bring it into 3D and work out all the specifics. Other other times, they say, we want, you know, tooling-ready drawings. We want you to design the helmet, but we want you to then go through all the 3D modeling. We want you to make prototypes, um, and at that time, you know, this was back in the early 2000s when we were doing a lot of that, we were building... Um, the form factors out of clay and sculpting, you know, sculpting the helmets and then okay. you know, carrying this uh, big, <laughs> you know, clay uh, helmet on a board to meetings <laughs> and stuff like that. And, uh, and, you know, then even just carving them in meetings to get all the uh, small um, details of the, the form down and, and that kind of thing. And so it was just a different process then. But in some of those cases, we brought it all the way through to manufacturing and would, um, it might even still be at their own factory, but uh, 
you know, held the hand all the way through the process till yeah. you know, parts were coming off the production line. Okay. So, you know, all, all parts of the process, and sometimes it just depends on what the client is, needs are. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, how did you get in touch with some of, like, because some of these are, like, very big brands and stuff, like, like K2. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have worked with some other big brands. Um, how do you guys, how did you get in touch with them, and how does that kind of, that process go? Well, you know, the one, if you if you ski and climb and, you know, hike and you do all that, you, you meet some people organically through that, mm-hmm. um, just being in the outdoors. Um, and the outdoor industry, especially when I started in the late 90s, was a very small industry. And so, for instance, Arc'teryx, which everybody, you know, for the most part is familiar with Arc'teryx now. Yeah. Nobody had any idea in 1999 when I first started working with Arc'teryx um, what Arc'teryx was. If you said Arc'teryx or they saw the bird logo, um, they would just, you know, what is that? Yeah. And so when I started working with them, they were 30 people. Okay. And, and um and I knew the people who, you know, had, were there right at the beginning of um, of forming the company. It was actually uh, um, initially a different name, and and some uh, individuals uh, that were had a climbing shop up in Whistler were involved right at the beginning, and became friends um, with with them. And we did a few projects together, and so it just kind of blossomed from there. So you know, now Arcteryx is I don't know, it's six hundred and something employees, and yeah, and they have. Uh, 130 stores worldwide or something and so um that you know that was kind of one of those things where maybe we stumbled into it more you know if i walked off the street today <laughs> to arcteryx and said hey i want to work for you they'd probably say go away but, right but i've been working for them um for you know 20 something years and and so uh that's how that relationship uh kind of came about and you know once you're in that industry and you go to a few of the outdoor trade shows and the events and you know people people move within the industry most of them are in that industry because it's a lifestyle choice more than like hey i got offered you know a job and it's and they're they're not there for you know to for uh you know other career reasons they they're people who love the outdoors and then they ended up in the outdoor industry because of that yeah and so I'd say, you know, it's more relationship-based uh, yeah. than a lot of other industries. We've worked in the medical industry. We've worked, you know, in the high-tech industry. And it's completely different than working in, in outdoor action sports, lifestyle yeah. um, industry, just because all of we do zero uh, business development, basically, <laughs> for our business, which is nice, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's all just based on relationships we've built over the years. And so... Uh, and people move within the industry and, and, and then a lot of the companies are kind of centralized in certain locations. So, you know, there's a lot of outdoor companies, um, in a certain part of France, there's a lot of outdoor (coughs) companies in Boulder and Denver area, a lot of outdoor companies, you know, in the Seattle area. And so, uh, and then also, you know, in Salt Lake City and Ogden, uh, Utah. So because of that, you know, people move around and that's really how our business grew was, um, you know, an individual VP of marketing from one company, you know, moved to another company and mm-hmm. they brought us along with them. Okay. Very cool. So when you work in these other industries, like the tech industry or medical, is it always kind of a breath of fresh air or whatever for you guys when you get to come back and work back on like yeah. the mountain stuff? Yeah. I mean, we, we run a lot of projects at a time and we probably run between 45 and 55 projects at a time. So, um, we, you know, we always have a lot going on and, 
and a portion of those are always still in the outdoor industry. Every once in a while, we end up outside the industry for some reason. And some, <laughs> somebody calls us and, and says, hey, you know, we want you to work on projects. So, um, so you know, those aren't bad projects. They're just a lot different. Yeah. And, and so the way that um, they run is typically uh, um, maybe a little more formal than what we're, we're used to. Yeah. As far as uh, it goes. So, you know, I think that it's just... Uh, there's less emphasis on the bottom line in the outdoor industry. Not that it doesn't count and, and matter, but um, there's a lot of decisions made within the outdoor industry that aren't just about profitability. Yeah. Uh, where you get outside of that from our experience, and that's less true. So, mm-hmm. so you know, those projects are great, and they're usually more profitable, and uh, because those companies have more money to spend on yeah on R and D. Uh, um, but at the same time, we do always we're always happy that, you know, we're centered in the industry that we're in. Yeah. So for a company like Arcteryx then, what, what, um, what aspect would you guys work on with them? So we've done a little bit of everything. Um, and so, you know, we're easy, whatever they ask us to do, you know, we're, we're, we're willing to do it most times. So (laughs) we've done, um, uh, we've done a lot of work on their brand stores, but they didn't have any brand stores, you know, stores that have the Arcteryx logo on yeah. the outside. When we started working with them, with them, they didn't have any stores that were branded Arcteryx. They were, you know, wholesale only, so they were selling in REIs and MECs and in small, you know, climbing shops and stuff like that. And so a lot of times, um, early work that we were doing was, you know, around branding. So it might be graphics and um, developing, you know, some of the campaigns that they were wanting to launch about a new product. Um, a lot of it was in-store merchandising. So you know, how do we best display our new featured jacket um and yeah. we want to design and develop a display that highlights it and calls out all the features and benefits and it, you know when somebody walks in the store they're drawn to that and, yeah and so how do we tell that story and then you know that um culminates in a physical display uh that has to be executed so a lot of our work is that type of stuff um and then uh product development so on occasion we would we would work on um a lot of times a product, you don't develop the whole product. They might say, hey, we're developing a new climbing harness and we need to figure out this um, attachment or a closure or things like that. So yeah. on occasion with Arcteryx, we would um, work on you know those types of things. Um, we don't do a lot of product-specific uh, development for Arcteryx uh, like we did for K2 for yeah. years. Um, and so, so, yeah, it runs a gamut, you know, it, whatever... Whatever they ask us to do, we, we typically, you know, are, are willing and have enough expertise to, to do that for them. Nice. Yeah. So um, uh, because I'm, I'm in the retail space then, um, what were some of the interesting things that you guys had to f- learn and figure out as you guys, because you said you designed some uh, retail stuff, not just for Arcteryx, but some of the stores for other companies and stuff like that. What were the things that you guys found as important factors when designing a retail store? Uh, well... I mean, when I was at utility, there that was a lot of what I was doing, and so it usually starts on uh, you know, how do how do people interact with the space? So you know, flow, floor plan, flow. How do people circulate? Mm-hmm. What do people look at? How long do they look at it? So you know, a lot of times when you have something, you only really have three seconds of someone's time as they walk past something yeah. to grab their attention. And, and so a lot of the initial work in, within a retail space has to do more with um, human behavior and how people interact in an environment like that. So there's a fair amount of research um, 
that goes into a lot of that. We've been doing it for a long time, so we you know we don't really necessarily go through the research phase on every project because yeah. we have a pretty good grasp of uh, of how that um, plays out. Uh, so you know then the process is understanding the brand and and one of the nice things about our clients is we've worked with most of them long term and so we have a really good understanding of their brand and their brand standards and their brand ethos and so I think that's important as well um, and obviously their ultimate goal is to increase sales per square foot within yep. their within their retail location and so you know understanding the brand understanding um, shopping behaviors or um, customer behaviors and then uh, you know turning that into a concept that captures that so that then they get a they have the benefit of uh, a good design that functions well and speaks to their brand and is easy to merchandise and easy to sell and easy to update based on you know new campaigns and that type of thing and so that's kind of our approach we go through a conceptual design process present it to the client they come back with feedback we go through you know sometimes multiple rounds of design development get everything um, dialed into you know what is going to work good for for that particular location and, okay. and their brand, and then and then execute that if it, that's under our task. Is okay, to, you know, build it. So a lot of times we're building furniture and we're building custom you know elements that go into these stores. We we do a lot of work for Red Wing Shoes, and so um, the the store that we designed and built in Manhattan is very different, you know, than when we design and build in a strip mall, mm-hmm. you know, in a rural community. And so the one in Manhattan, you know, has a big sculpture that we built out of their old um, leather dyes and stuff that hangs from the ceiling and oh, that cool. kind of stuff. So, you know, it depends on location a lot and what their what their uh, clients or customers, you know, kind of um, demographic is, where they're coming from, how much disposable income they might have depending on where it's located. So yeah. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of thought and factors that go into designing yeah. Uh, retail location. Very cool. Um, so then as far as um, where Built is at now, um, what does your kind of typical day look like? So, you know, I, I went to design school and that's what I did um, was, uh, um, was you know, day to day was working on uh, design. But I haven't done that much in a long time, you know. Yeah. My day to day is client contact um, <laughs> and uh you know, 200, 300 emails a day and <laughs> writing proposals and, and, um, and quotes and those types of things, traveling to projects and making sure that everything is, uh, you know, going as planned and coming along on site and those types of stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, my day to day looks much more like a business owner's, you know, day to day. And, and, uh, and unfortunately I'm terrible at it. You know, uh, so, you know, I'm a bad people manager and I'm, and, uh, and I'm fine at running, you know, the business and I enjoy the client contact, but, but, uh, a lot of times I lament that, you know, I'm not work, I'm not doing design and, yeah. and, uh, that type of stuff. So, so my day to day is, you know, the typical business owner going a hundred different directions, doing a hundred different things and trying to make it all come together yep. know, in the end. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. I, I definitely find that as a, um, uh, well as business owner, but as I've seen people transition from a, um, like a barista or like certain positions, uh, and they move into a manager level. They no longer get to do what they were good at and why you brought them to the manager level. And so it's a whole different world that they have to learn and understand. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, sometimes it, I still try to, like, 
I try to interject myself into the design process or, you know, into <laughs> that type of stuff. Or I go down and, you know, build build one of the pieces of furniture or do some welding just, uh, just because uh, it's nice to then, you know, be reminded like, yeah. okay. Yep. Still can do this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit then. Um, so apart from owning and starting Built... Um, you're also helping with the Camino Stanwood Art Center. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about what the goal is for that that project? Sure. So um, the Stanwood Camino Art Advocacy Commission was uh, started by, I think, Jason Dorsey and Carla Matsky were the early people that were had the um, idea. I only came on board with it a little over a year ago. Um, and their mission is, uh, you know, building community by partnering, uh, educating, celebrating, and advocating for the arts. And so, you know, I think the framework of the um, of the commission was to kind of bring all the factions of of art groups and artists uh, in the Stanwood Camino uh, community um, together with a, co- a common community vision. Mm-hmm. And and um, so when I came on the. They had just started um, discussing an art center and the potential of an art center. And so I got involved in that because I have a background in building and I've um, designed and built uh, a few houses and other um, structures and completely had renovated our um, old brick building in Everett that our businesses run out of and those types of things. So, and, and I did a lot of architecture in school. So I was kind of a natural fit to be involved with the art center project. And, and so I, um, have gone through the process of, um, you know, starting to work on that and, um, interviewing architects and getting through initial design phases on what that art center is going to be, um, okay. not only from a programming standpoint, like how is it going to be used and and uh, what are the general space divisions and what should be in that art center um, from kind of a macro view, but then also, you know, getting into the logistics of designing and building yeah. um, the physical building. And so that's all in process and and uh, we're still working on it and there's not a lot, you know, of, <laughs> of fidelity or concrete things to share on on the art center itself. Uh, yeah. Other than that, it, it is, you know, something that's being worked on and, and hopefully it comes to fruition in the next next couple of years. But it's, okay. a, it's a long term process. But yeah, but the commission is doing great stuff. Um, a lot of the local artists and business uh, uh, community are involved in it. Um, I just this morning we had a commission meeting and a, a board meeting, and you know, there's just a lot of excitement and a lot of involvement. And the city of Stanwood is involved as well, and so there's just a lot of great initiatives uh, happening with that, with art education and um, around marketing of you know all the artist shows and yeah. studios and all those kinds of things. And so, uh, you know, I think the 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 commissions. Um, hope is that we're able to promote the area um, to even flourish more as an art community yeah. and become kind of a destination within the region, uh, not only for artists, but for um, those who are looking to to um, get involved with art and purchase art and and have a place to go to to view art and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that, that's it's exciting, and there's a lot of activity going on. And we did just hire an executive director, um, Kat Olson, who I think that you, you yes, know. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah. And so she's a new uh, executive director. And so that's a big step um, to have first staff member. Um, and and 
so yeah, we're moving along and doing good things, and more will come out as far as you know what what exactly the art center's going to look like uh, in the future over the next few months. Yeah, very cool. I actually, um, um, I just saw her announcement uh, a few weeks ago about her closing down co-host. Um, but just like a quick shout out to her throughout this entire pandemic and everything that's gone on, she started a event center in downtown Stanwood right as the pandemic hit. And so she, like most businesses had to pivot like, oh, we'll do online ordering. We'll do this. Her entire business model got thrown out the window when the pandemic hit and her positivity and her enthusiasm of just continuing on and making a new way forward with all that she was doing. Um, was just super inspiring watching it day in, day out because two, like the last two years has not felt like two years. It's felt much longer and it didn't matter every time she jumped on and she was, you know, reaching out to people. It was this very positive, look what we're doing. This is a new thing that we're going to try. And, um, yeah, yeah. I think that, uh, you know, I've only got to know her recently, but I think that a lot of that, that you just described is why we feel that she's such a great fit for, for the commission is, um, that she brings that enthusiasm, that can-do spirit, and a lot of what she was doing with co-hosts translates directly to what we want to do yeah. uh, with the Art Commission and and with the Art Center eventually. And so I think that um, you know she's going to be a great leader for the organization, and and uh, and I know that you know she really enjoyed co-hosts, but I think that she's looking at this new challenge as a even bigger opportunity, kind yeah. of doing what she had already envisioned within the community. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I'm so happy for her. That's that's awesome. So <clears throat> with all of that, then do you guys have any idea of like a completion date not like not obviously not like a finish date but like a projected like is it two years three years down the road um i don't but you know it's at least probably two two to three years down the road before you know uh there would be an art center in place and that's hosting you know shows and events and things like that Mm -hmm. uh we you know i think in our minds we have a pretty uh grand you know idea of what this is going (laughs) to be and so uh, so it's a big project, and there's a lot to figure out. Um, yeah, and so uh, um, yeah, it's it's probably at least two years, and I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if it's three or four years. Uh, yep. on that. Um, and the commission has hired an architect that's uh, that's working on the project, and and so you know, kind of going through all the planning phase and stuff like that. That so Olson Kundig, they're out of Seattle, and they're oh, yeah. really well known um, firm, and so. Uh, they've been, you know, great helping us kind of um, get get moving on, you know, the planning stages and all yeah. that for it. Yeah, well, especially the way supplies and everything and um, labor, the, there's so much there that's like, even once you guys are ready to go, then it's like, okay, well, we can start this in six months or, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, you know, the board and the commission, we're all volunteers. Uh, and so, you know, it's one of those things where, we have 30 or 40 people all working on it, but we're doing it in, uh, you know, our spare time uh, yeah. and as we can. And so that also uh, tends to hinder the process a little bit as far as speed goes, but everybody's um, super invested. And so, yeah. you know, I, I believe it's going to happen yeah. and, and be really great. Nice. So um, with all this then, have you stepped back into, because you said you had some art background when you were growing up as a kid, mm-hmm. and then you kind of went into industrial design. But from an art perspective, have you kind of picked back up certain forms? Well, I mean, I, I've always painted and drawn, uh, kept that going. When I was at RISD, I took a lot of uh, uh, coursework <laughs> that was, you know, fine art um, 
related or, or was fine painting courses, drawing courses, those types of things. And, uh, you know, I've continued to do that. I do a fair amount of um, furniture design and building. I have a sawmill uh, here on the island. That, okay. And, and uh, so, you know, I'm kind of a, you know, the, the jack of all trades, master of none artist where, <laughs> where uh, I do like to use it as a creative outlet, but, um, but I'm not just, you know, I'm not painting every day or anything like that. Uh, I'm also on the board for the shack um, art center in Everett. Okay. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm pretty immersed in the, in the arts community as far as, uh, as that goes, um, being on the board there and being on the board of the uh, Stanwood Commando or Abbasi Commission, um, and then a couple other nonprofit, um, boards. And so it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a good balance for me because, um, I really am more inclined towards the mechanical, uh, practical side of, of art, um, with my business and industrial design and stuff like that. But, but, um, uh, you know, fine art painting specifically is a great outlet just to, um, I might do like three a year or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And they're yeah. usually because I'm under duress because, you know, the shack or somebody says, Hey, we need you to donate a painting for an auction or something. So, <laughs> so then I, you know, do a painting and donate it. So that's what most of, so, so, so that's good. It's always good to be prodded a little bit. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Uh, so the first one is what purchase of a hundred dollars or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Well, um, I think you might have to adjust that for inflation. Okay. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's funny because I asked my wife, I said, what have I bought for $100 or less in the last three months? And she said, "Uh, I don't think anything. You're not a, you're a big ticket item person. I don't go to the grocery store. I don't buy basically anything. But uh, thinking about it, I, um, you know, I had a nice dinner at Shima with my wife and it was right around $100, and, you know, so I think that experience uh, yeah. of just a nice, quiet dinner, um, it was uh, probably the best uh, $100 purchase I've had in the last three months. Nice. I did buy a couple koi for my koi pond, but that was back in the fall, maybe a little longer than three months ago. Okay. And, and, you know, those are always, it's fun, it's relaxing to, to um you know, just go out there with my fish. Uh, <laughs> during the winter, they're kind of hibernating, but most of the time, you know, go out, feed them, and that's kind of a, a relaxing, you know, setting to enjoy also. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, I love Shima. In fact, uh, it was earlier this week, I texted my wife and <laughs> I said, um, we haven't gone to Shima in a while. When do we want to do Shima? And then I texted right after that, tonight? Great, yeah. sounds good. Well, I'll pick it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's yeah. nice to have that quality it's great. Sandwich, yeah. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. So, all right. Who's the most influential person in your life outside of your family? Uh, well, um, my art teacher in high school uh, was is probably that person. <clears throat> uh, her name was Susan Russell. She's passed uh, from cancer a few years ago, but um, it's interesting. Uh, I was in high school in, in Snohomish. They had a freshman either at um, the middle school or freshman campus. So you came into the high school in your sophomore year. And I remember I was in a, just a, a regular art class in my sophomore year. I wasn't that involved in art in school. Most of my art um, training had been, you know, in like private art lesson setting. And so I was in this uh, art class, just like, I don't remember what it was called, 
it wasn't beginner art, but it was equivalent to, you know, beginning art class mm -hmm. with a teacher named Mr. Mo. And, and uh, all of a sudden, this lady um, that's about six foot tall with bright red hair and like Chuck Taylor converse on, she busts in the door and she says, where is he? And, <laughs> and Mr. Mo goes, who? The boy I heard about. And, uh, and, and I was sitting in the very back row and we were working on like woodblock, uh, uh, prints or something like that. And, and, um, she, and Mr. Mo says, oh, he's back there. And, uh, and he says, Carm, you know, raise your hand. And so, uh, I did. And she comes back and she grabs me by the arm and she says, you're coming with me. <laughs> and so she pulled me right out of that class and, she was an AP art teacher, and she also taught calligraphy and, and some other classes. And she, said, and she brought me into her class, and she says, okay, you're going to be in my AP art class. You're going to TA for me the, this period and this period. And, uh, <laughs> and essentially just hijacked my entire <laughs> high school um, art career. And so, you know, I don't know how many... I spent a lot of time in her classroom over the next three years. And she um, had done a summer teaching program at RISD. And she says, um, you're going to go to RISD. And, <laughs> and so I said, okay, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and so then she, um, she got the wheels in motion. She made sure that I had all the, um, the stuff lined up to do that. Um, at the time there, <clears throat> you submitted 20 uh, slides and three original drawings and your essay along with your application and stuff like that. And so basically for two years, she worked with me. Uh, wow. It's the only school I applied to. And she worked with me on that, prepping me to, to, to go to RISD for my uh, art education. And during that time, she was uh, fighting cancer. And she would, um, she would teach school um, from a bed that they brought in to the wow. classroom. And so she had like a little office off of the, uh, off the classroom. And she not only taught from that and, you know, the certain days she missed when she was undergoing treatments and, and that kind of thing. Um, but then she would stay, uh, she would stay after and have me stay after almost, I don't know how many days, at least three or four days a week. And, work on um, stuff on the side and prepping for um, my college application and wow. do, doing my drawings and reviewing them. And then I'd bring them into her and she'd be laying on the bed and she would critique them and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, so then, you know, I, I applied to RISD and I got in and not only got in, I got almost a full scholarship wow. um, there. And then, uh, and then we stayed, you know, fast friends after and she, um, was always, you know, coming to my house, and I was going to her house and having dinners, and she taught all my children. Uh, she had a little um, uh, art studio out of her garage in Everett, and, uh, and so um, just super great, you know, uh, mentor. And um, then uh, when I started Built, she was like the first one there. She, <laughs> she talked me into running a, a art gallery for three years out of the company <laughs> and she'd like help hang the shows and she was like the biggest promoter. And, uh, then she moved to Portland uh, a few years ago with her husband Falcon and, and, um, and she'd still, every time she'd come up, you know, she was, uh, she'd come see me and we'd have lunch and that kind of stuff. And and I probably have, I think 20, 24 of her paintings or something like that. She was a great artist also, uh, really uh, great um, 
at uh, calligraphy and and those types of things. And so, so you know, I think uh, um, now there's a scholarship uh, named after that the shack gives every year. She was so into art education. So I, at her uh, memorial after she passed away, on her third third kind of time around with uh, cancer, um, the memorial is just person after person basically saying that she was the biggest influence in their lives. So, oh. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, I think the same for me, that yeah. that she, you know, saw, saw somebody and she just basically took over and, <laughs> and uh, made it happen. And, and, you know, that's, that's kind of rare, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome. That was actually going through my head when you were talking about RISD. I was like, how on earth did you go from Washington to applying over there? Yeah, because of Susan. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. The next question is, uh, it's a fill in the blank question. So, uh, it's, I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. Well, I've, um, so with, with my work, I've traveled a lot and, um, made maybe 40 trips to Asia and, uh, and done projects, um, on five different continents. And so I always think, oh, I could move here. And so I think that, uh, for me, um, I've always wanted to just pick up and move to a completely unfamiliar uh, 180 degree from, you know, what I'm used to culture and yeah. just live there for two or three years and, and uh, immerse myself in it. And so, I've, you know, I haven't done that, but, um, but I, I plan to at some point in my life yeah. just basically dump myself into an unfamiliar place for a few years. And, and so uh, I think that's probably um, something I've always wanted to do. Yeah, that sounds great. All right. Who is an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? Oh, um, I mean, I know you've had a lot of, of people on already, but, uh, you know, I think there's a lot more uh, people in the area. Uh, David Casera ha- has a gallery in Stanwood. Mm-hmm. Um, Dan Nelson that owns Design Northwest, an architect uh, here in town. Um, it's funny. One of the people I thought of was Jor- Jordan Sneva, and he was... Um, the track and cross country coach for several years at Stanwood. And he's now the athletic director, I think up in Mount Vernon Okay, and he lives up in Mount Vernon, but he's so involved or was for many years in, in, uh, Stanwood Camino. And, um, he's like one of the most positive people that I've ever met. And he still sends my children postcards of like encouragement. <laughs> even he doesn't even work for Stanwood. He's not a teacher at Stanwood High School anymore. He's not involved, you know, and he he uh a, a postcard shows up in the mail just saying, "Hey, I, I bet you're doing great. Keep doing, keep it up the good work and those types of things." And so, you know, I think he was one of the big influences with my children as they went through the the school system that was such a positive person that um, the kids really related to and really helped them along in yeah. their journey. So I think he'd be uh, really interesting to to talk with. Um, yeah. There. And, you know, there's lots of other people. There's, uh, you know, there's lots of young people that are interesting that um, could be good to get their perspective growing up on the island. You yeah. know, I think of my daughter, Karina. She's my oldest daughter. She's in medical school down in Oregon. And, you know, she says always says, oh, I come back to Camino just because it's like my decompression place. It's such yeah. a great, great place to be. So, you know, interviewing someone who's grew up here and then, you know, has moved away and, and still in their young 20s type of thing would be, be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one other person, Sam Fairley. He's uh, director of engineering for the 
uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, and he lives on the island, and I met him on the bus 20-something years ago, commuting to <laughs> Seattle, and he's a really fascinating person, and he played football for Auburn, and he's now um, on the board for, for the Art Commission, and um, and really fun to, to talk to. So yeah, lots of, lots of people. Awesome. Sounds good. All right, and lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Uh, I think that... Um, I would tell my 20-year-old self to enjoy the process um, and the journey because it's really as important and as fulfilling as the end result. So, you Mm -hmm. know, sometimes when you're young, you have this, uh, you have a vision in your head of what, you know, you're going to make or do in the next, you know, 10 or 20 years. And you're going to have the family and a house and a job and a career or, you know, whatever it is that your particular interests are. and then you kind of forget about the journey getting there. Yeah. And so uh, for me, when I look back, um, and I'm starting to think about retiring and what the you know what that looks like, um, that the journey and all the process and the things that you learned along the way were actually the the best parts of yeah. uh, the last um, 28 years for me since I was 20. And so uh, so yeah, I think that's what I would tell my 20 year old self. Very cool. Well, thank you. I know you're a busy guy. You've got a lot going on. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Carm Pierce for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, go to commandocommons.com slash podcast. That's commandocommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next time.